0: So I read a book, so you don't have to. (laughs) So this is the book. If you look for it online, you will see a different cover. Um, But it's the same book. I mean, I assume. I didn't buy a new copy. I've had this one for a while. How to Read a Book, a Classic Guide to Intelligent Reading. Because who wants to read dumbly? Uh, Mortimer J. Adler and Charles Van Doren. So, I have given you a summary of it. I totally recommend you read this book, all right? Um, but, just in case you don't have time, um, I'll give you the, the basic ideas from it. But first, before we jump in, we have some uh, quotes from dead people. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't like quotes from dead people? I should put quotes on the first one. All right, first one is a Seneca. Uh, who's Seneca? Anybody? ancient Roman, Stoic fellow, he, in a, a letter to somebody, he wrote this. Uh, you must linger among a limited number of master thinkers and digest their works, if you would derive ideas which will win firm hold in your mind. Everywhere means nowhere. When a person spends all his time in foreign travel, he ends by having many acquaintances but no friends. And the same thing must hold true of people who seek intimate acquaintance with no single author, but visit them all in a hasty and hurried manner. In reading of many books is distraction. Hmm. Okay. Another perspective of it on this by Francis Bacon Some books are to be tasted, others swallowed, and some few to be swallowed and digested. Okay? So what are they? What are they talking about here? Right? What's what's the idea? No, Prophet Ezekiel swallowed a book, but I don't think it's quite the same idea here. Not, not quite. Um, what's the idea here? At least in, in Bacon's. Who doesn't like bacon? Right. In Bacon's opinion. All right. Um, when the, obviously, there's plenty of books out there that aren't worth reading. We know this, right? Uh, there's a, a lot of books out there that. Probably are worth reading once, right? Uh, I read, I read, call it, I read trash books, all right. Um, Isaac Asimov. Anybody ever read any Isaac Asimov? All right, science fiction. They're not trashy, but they're 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 fun. They're worth. I just read a series of his called Foundation series. It was five books. They were all worth reading once. I would be surprised if I ever read them again. It was entertaining all right they're not really worth me dwelling on unless i wanted to become like a full-time science fiction writer then maybe um one of the history's most prolific authors it's worth reading glad i did terry brooks fantasy novelist i've read a lot of his stuff don't think i'll ever read any of those books again all right they were good uh but they were they were worth tasting all right and even swallowing uh not digesting all right um when you read the Bible, all right, you can read it once and then you can just never read it again. All right, well, that's not the way we approach the Bible, right? Uh, it is something that should be returned to over and over and tasted and swallowed and digested, right? That's something that we do. And there are various books, all right, that we read and then we go, you know what, this thing is worth rereading. Does anybody think of any books they've read other than the Bible that they've read? And they thought were worth reading more than once. Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. Same, same. Mm-hmm. Pilgrim's Progress. What's that? Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Screwtape letters. Screwtape letters. I've read this one twice. I know how to read a book, right? Part of being a good reader will... Will come from knowing which books to read more than once or twice, right? And uh, I think some of these rules that we're going to go through are are helpful for f- trying to figure out if that's if this is actually going to be the case. If you should read something at all, maybe you should just taste it. But we'll, we'll see what that could mean at least. So um, going to the actual summary. So they talk about four levels of reading in this book. All right, elementary, which I assume you've all gotten through that part. Of, of basically school all right? you can you can pick up a book and read and go i generally understand these words right? right i'm just going to go with the assumption that we all understand that all right there's another level that he does talk about uh, called inspectional another called analytical and most of this book is on what is what he would call analytical reading and that's will be most of our discussion today and then uh, what is called syntopical or comparative reading. So basically, four different stages. And elementary would be just you know learning learning how to read English, right? We all did this in grade school. Inspectional reading. The purpose of inspectional reading is to get the basic idea of a book without having, ideally, without having to actually sit down and read the whole book, right? Now, uh, some books are really good for instructional reading, and some are not. Like, for example, fiction books. All right. If someone, for example, not that anyone would do this, read the conclusion of a fiction book before they read the book, then that kind of spoils a lot, potentially, of that book. I'm, I'm sure at least you know 95% of us could agree with that in this room. Uh, no names at all. Um, so, but, you know, there's a whole host of, of nonfiction books. I think we could probably all agree with, you know what, maybe if there was a good way of knowing if I should even read this thing, that would be handy. Well, some things that they recommend would be, first of all, a uh, table of contents. Some books have great tables of contents. Some books are terrible, all right? Some of them, you look at the, uh, you look at the table headings and you can tell they're, they're trying to be really clever, with their chapter titles. And often, if they're trying to be really clever, you can't tell from reading the chapter title what that thing is about. It's very annoying. It also means the table of contents is going to be mostly useless until after you've read the book and if you want to use it as some sort of reference work. Lots of good books, though, will have good tables of contents. And uh, for those of us who have um, read a lot of people who have been de- who are dead, uh, used to um, at least... I don't know, go back 100 years ago, a lot of people really put a lot of work into their tables of contents. And you'd actually look at some books and they'd say, it's this, and then there'd be like a paragraph describing as like the subtitle of the book. Here's here's what I'm really talking about in detail. In those kind of works, a good table of contents uh, can actually be a really good, useful tool to figure out if you even want to read the thing, all right? So you go to Barnes & Nobles, you pick up a book, And you look at it, if it has a full table of contents, you can go, take five minutes before you read that. Did anybody else go to Barnes & Noble? Sweet. You can read through the table of contents and go, yes, this is what I was looking for. Or no, this is not what I'm looking for. If that isn't quite enough, another inspectional strategy they have, uh, that would be pre-reading in their language. uh, Skimming. And so this would be, um, once again, not something to do with a fiction book. But with anything else, go to a chapter, read the first paragraph, read the conclusion. If you see major headings within the chapter, go read a paragraph. Just dip in here or there. Say, spend 15 minutes with a book. Get the basic gist of the thing. What in the world are they talking about if they don't have good table contents and all that? All right? That would be a good way of skimming a book. And when you do this, or if you do both... Right? You can get a big, the, the big picture of what a book is trying to cover before you even jump into it. And having an idea of the structure of a book can often help you appreciate the book even more. And in the context of fiction writing, right, once you've read a book, if it is worth a fiction book worth reading again, then the next time you go through, unless you have a really terrible memory, you, you basically know what happened. Then you can pay attention to other things as you're reading. You're not just focusing on, ooh, is my favorite character about to die some horrible death or something like that, right? You can think more in terms of how they're trying to do things and just enjoy the craft of what they, what they do. Uh, like, for example, I read last year Tale of Two Cities. I want to read it again. I thought it was a really good book. Um, I, ha- I somehow missed it in high school and read it and I'm like, wow, that was great. I want to read it again even though I know how it's going to end because I liked how he wrote. I thought, you know, I, I can learn more if I read this thing again. So skimming and pre-reading can be very useful. Uh, another thing that might sometimes be useful as, as well is to do a super, superficial reading. Have you ever read a book that was so hard to read that you're like, I understood like 10% of this. All right, Have you ever done this? I certainly have. The um, last book I read that was like this, it was more like a booklet, like an extended extended essay. Um, Leisure by jo- Josef Pieper, German Catholic scholastic guy. Very interesting book, written right after World War II. Um, it was so hard for me to read. Extremely difficult. Partially because I'm not a Catholic scholastic um, partially because it was well, it's older, so it's not quite my time period. I had I probably because I had to read through it and then read it sections and try to follow his logic. I probably read the, the thing, not that big, probably seven or eight times just to understand it. It was it was tough. It was good though. I'm glad I did it. Um, next time I, I go through it, it'll be a lot easier. So do this is like that. You read anything by him? No, I've listened to his Harvard address, which was really interesting, or read his Harvard address. He did Russian. Yeah. yeah. I want. I want to. Yeah, I want to read Solzhenitsyn. So sometimes super hard things can be. It'd be helpful just to read them through, just to get the basic idea, and then to think through them again. Have you ever read Plato's Republic? I think it's worth reading and then reading it again, and probably multiple times, because it is it is difficult, truly difficult to read. Part of that's just the fact that it is very old. Um, part of it is because none of us grew up as ancient Greeks. Uh, but still, just in general, it's a, it's a very complex book. I oh, know, isn't that terrible? That none of us grew as ancient Greeks? Another way, and this was not in this book, uh, one, one thing I totally recommend would be to... Um, listen to a book as an audiobook as a way of superficial reading all right um because uh, there have been books that i've i bought i've gotten through audible or something that after i've listened to them i'm like wow that was really useful i think i should sit down and think through this more and audiobooks are not very good for sitting down and thinking through this but i think they're really good for like a superficial reading of a thing or an, or an inspectional reading and so they're big fans of the inspectional reading of... All right, if you're going to tackle... Especially something complex, all right? If it's going to be complex, it might be worth doing a superficial reading or an inspectional reading, a pre-reading of the book. Uh, their third type, which you can see there's... The third bullet in there, is analytical. And that's where, really, the bulk of this book is about. Because the analytical stage is basically how you get the most out of any book that you read, all right? But it's also an incredibly uh, taxing experience, all right? And so if you if a book is worth truly digesting, then here's their rules, essentially, all right? And they would also say, most books are not worth this much effort. So they don't think you should read all books to this degree of, of these rules, all right? Because it's just, your life is finite, and why would you do that to yourself, so the questions that you're answering by analytical reading are essentially in three or four groups depending on how you slice it the first thing you want to answer is what is the book about as a whole and how is it structured to accomplish this some books it's extremely useful to think about how exactly do they structure their argument all right and sometimes you need this to understand complex books I think, for example, um, like if you're doing Bible reading, I think it's very helpful to read certain books this way. It's very helpful to read Romans this way. It's very helpful to read uh, Galatians this way. I'm not sure it's helpful to read First Chronicles that way. All right? Because it's, it's, it's structured by history. All right? Nothing wrong with thinking about how it's structured. Actually, that's still a good idea. But when the thing is structured like an argument, all right, which Romans and Galatians certainly is, thinking about the structure is super important. So that's the first set of questions. The next one is, that, that's big picture. All right, This is different. What is being said in detail? What are its propositions and its arguments? All right. One is big picture. How's the whole thing hanging together? The other is, in its minute details, in all of its places, what is he trying to argue, or what is she trying to argue, and what arguments are put forth for that argument for that proposition all right there's an idea and what are the arguments that are used to defend that idea third also very important uh, is it true all right in whole or in part many books that you will read will be partially true all right and it's good to know if this book is a partially true or wholly true and then finally what of it what should you do the rules of analytical reading so first of all uh, at a high level you need to understand what the book how the book is structured and how to how it's going to try and to accomplish its goal so he's got a number of rules there it's uh, rules one through eleven we'll just go through them and just know that they basically fit within these four general questions rules of analytical reading at the bottom from a high level what is the book about and how is it structured Rule number one, you must know what a book, what kind of book you are reading, and you should know this as early as possible in the process, preferably before you begin to read, all right? If you're reading a fiction book, all right, um, that you're going to approach this differently than if you read a how-to self-help book or something like that, all right, versus a book on systematic theology, all right, versus a book about history, all right? different genres, it's good to know what type of book it is. Because your general strategy uh, to reading it will differ. And actually, there is a lot of material in here specifically on, okay, you take these general rules, what's it like when you're reading philosophy versus history versus fiction and so on? And so I didn't go through that. You should totally read the book. So first of all, it really helps as soon as possible to know what that is. Most of the time, you're going to know this when you buy the book. All right. This might not be the case if you're reading a book for school. They may just say, pick up that book and, and you and read it, all right? potentially. Number two, all right, And this is something that you need to try to be able to do as a good reader. You need to be able to state the unity of the book in a single sentence or at most a few sentences. All right? That's rule number two. When you're reading something that's really worth thinking through, at the end of the book, one of your goals is to go be able to say. What's this about? Very succinctly. If you can't, it may be because it's a terrible book and it's too scatterbrained. Or it might be because you don't understand it yet. Number three, set forth the major parts of the book and show how these are organized into a whole by being ordered to one another into the unity of the whole. So in other words, if you take a book, let's say the book of Romans, what is the book of Romans about? All right. Can you state succinctly what the book of Romans is about? Rule number three says, okay, if you can state succinctly what it's about, what are its pieces, and how do those contribute to that statement? All right. If it's an argument, that totally makes sense to do. Um, lots of practical books are the same way. A historical book, well, most historical books... Right. Well, many historical books are just sequence. All right, You kind of already have a structure anyway. What they choose and what they focus on will be very much determined by what the author is trying to accomplish. But the sequence is kind of set for you. Many books, that's not the case. And so try to understand what the author is trying to say. And then identify how is each piece from a large scale contributing to understand that single point. And then number four related to that... What, find out what the author's problems were you can generally see this by what they're focusing on all right? and what they're trying to, to teach or fight against or correct or whatever it is so that's the big picture state the unity of the book what's the point of the book and then state how the contents of the book support that thing and if you take the time to do that you will certainly understand a book a lot better which is what this spell. about next level about what is being said in detail right? and how did the author make his argument number five find the important words and through them come to terms with the author and what he means by coming to terms here is what did the author mean by the words he means depending on what you know what century the book you're reading was written in they might be using terms differently than you right and even if it's this century they might still be using words differently than you even if it was this year they might still be using words differently than you. And so if you're going to understand an author, you need to understand, find what their major terms are, because they'll tend to repeat them and focus on them, and then make sure you understand what those terms are. Because if you can't, you're not going to have much of a hope of understanding their, their arguments in detail. Number six, mark the most important sentences in the book and discover the propositions they contain. And that's going to be related to the next one, which is locate or construct the basic arguments in the book by finding them and the connection of sentences. And so if an author is trying to argue something, all right, find what they're trying to argue. Find the subject matter. Okay? And then try to say, okay, if this is the his point, what's his arguments for that thing? Alright? What facts, what ideas does he bring up? to argue that basic point. And then finally, once you've found his arguments, and then, excuse me, once you've found his propositions, and then once you've found his arguments, you then ask the question, all right, or you have the task of determine which of his problems the author has solved, and which he has not. And as to the latter, decide which the author knew he had failed to solve. All right? This, I mean, this happens a lot in historical writing, um, where you will read you will read through the thing and someone is arguing a basic point about some historical thing, and often they'll recognize, here's our point, uh, we don't know about this yet, we don't know about that, all right, or here's my argument and I think I'm right, but I'm not entirely sure. That's not unusual, and that's actually super important in scholarship for people to write books like that, all right? and so what you're supposed to do as an intelligent reader. If, once again, this is a book that's worth doing this with, all right? You want to think through their propositions and their arguments to determine how they do, essentially. You want to write a report card. Once you understand the structure as a whole, and then you understand how all the individual pieces fit into the structure as a whole. Now you get to essentially the last two questions, which would be rules numbers uh, 9 through 11. All right? Is the author correct and what's the significance? All right. Number 9, you must be able to say with reasonable certainty. This is a very important one. You must be able to say with reasonable certainty, I understand before you can say any one of the following. I agree. I disagree. Or I suspend judgment. Okay? You could probably suspend judgment much earlier. But you should not say you agree or disagree with the book. Unless you understand it. I mean, that kind of yeah, makes sense. But important. I mean, we. I'm sure we've all had seen instances where people, at least for us, didn't fully understand us and critique us. But we certainly see it where people read books and don't really understand the books and critique those or listen to politicians and don't really understand them or critique them and, and so forth. It's super common. For, for these guys, they're like, not the way. You must, with reasonable certainty, be able to say, I understand, before you can say, you're wrong, you're right, or I don't know yet. Number 10, when you disagree, do so reasonably and not disputatiously, good word, or contentiously. And the basic note there is this. If you're reading a book, all right, um, the author's not there to argue with you. Chances are, right? Um, If that's the case, then you can always pick on something, all right, and just find a reason to disagree with a book you don't like, all right? And their point is this. Don't, Don't be that way. All right. if you're going to take the trouble of understanding a book all right, don't just find something nitpicky and focus on that all right. don't be just someone who likes fighting when you disagree do so reasonably and then finally number 11 respect the difference between knowledge and mere personal opinion by giving reasons for any critical judgment you make alright if you're like, I read this book and I see his arguments, but I don't like them. That is not a critique. <laughs> all right? That is just you stating your opinion that you don't like it. All right? A critique is, I, I read this book, I see his arguments, and, and he is wrong because of this, this, and this. all right? That's a valid critique. all right? At least potentially valid critique. And so the, those are the rules. And if you read a book and you go, alright, I'm going to actually go through and be able to do this with the entire contents of that book... Um, you're going to understand that book a great deal more than someone who just reads through the book. Chances are, mm-hmm. and for them, it's like right, they had—they didn't have the cynical quote, but they had the Francis Bacon quote in there. They're, they're like, not—not not every book is worth this. And from um, historically speaking, one of them, maybe both of them—I uh, don't know if you—are you familiar with the Great Books tradition and the Great Book sets? One of them was highly—I think it was Ad, um, Van Doren maybe it was Adler, yeah, they were very much in that, into the creation of that, and they're like, we're going to identify the great books of the Western world, and all of these are worth reading, and so I actually saw a set, and I really wanted it, asked my mom if she'd buy it for me, because it was $500, and she said no, <laughs> uh, but there was an entire set of them at uh, High Price Books at um, Park, Park and uh, Preston, Right. 60 volumes I think is what it was so for $500 60 volumes that's not bad um, anyway so when they're talking about good books that's kind of what they're, they're talking about they're not talking about the latest bestseller ooh Michael Crichton they're talking about let's read Thomas Hobbes let's read Plato All right, and how you would approach books like that okay um, okay almost to the end the four judgments you can make all right so when it does come to uh to to disagreeing with particular things they their basic idea was all right you can when you're going to disagree with an author all right here's basically your four areas four ways everything ultimately follows up under these uh one you're saying to that author you're uninformed and lack some knowledge relevant to the problem all right two uh kind of related but not quite you're misinformed and assert what is not the case all right that happens. You are illogical and have committed a logical fallacy or simply, your argument is incomplete. It is entirely possible for somebody to make an argument and their arguments all be correct and still be incomplete and they go, oh, therefore this is true. Not necessarily. All right? So that can totally happen as well. And there's also going to be plenty of times where people are uninformed or misinformed, right? Somebody has told them wrong or they just make statements and they don't understand. Uh, they, don't, they are not themselves informed enough. We, we, all, we all have opinions that are underinformed. It's the nature of being human. We do that, all right? And so there's, that's basically their way of laying out, all right, if you're going to disagree with an author, here's your basic categories of how to do it. All right, things to remember. Uh, this this process for them. All right, really describes an ideal. All right, few books should even be read this way. All right, I'm not going to read Isaac Asimov this way. It's just simply not worth it. I may not even, even read him again. I mean, it was entertaining. Um, I don't have any other books on my shelf that are by him. I don't know if I will. We'll see. And science fiction is not even my favorite. So who knows? Uh, so I'm not going to read Isaac Asimov this way. The Bible is certainly worth reading this way. All right? Plato is worth reading this way. Augustine is worth reading this way. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, is often worth reading this way. Um, and not every book by a single author will be worth reading this way. A lot of this has to do with how book is this important potentially to you. All right, And that will determine a lot of this. And this gets to Seneca's point. It is better to read a few books well than to read a bunch of books poorly. All right? And it's, it's this whole idea of, okay, you know what, I'm going to read 50 books this year or some, kind of, some sort of arbitrary goal like that. All right? They're, they are very much against that, that kind of approach to things. Now, it would be extremely difficult for me to read 50 books a year, even trash fiction books. All right. Um, now, I, have a, I inherited a bunch of Louis L'Amour books from my grandmother. Um, those are short and easy to read, in my experience. I could read a lot of those in a year. But this is not a goal, all right? This is not a goal. And if your goal is to learn and grow, then this is a great way of doing things. If your goal is, um, my brain is fried because I've been working all day, and I just want to do something entertaining, then trash fiction. Read as many of those as you want as a year, in a year. When it comes to reading difficult books, um, it's tiring. And it's it's genuinely work, right? Uh, to, to, read, to read the Bible as uh, various books as an argument, it's often genuine work to do that. It's, it hurts your head, requires research, and you can't just read through it. You've got to sit there and think. All right, A lot of books are that way. And I often can't do that when it comes to... Thank you, guys. Uh, 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. Um, I'm just tired. And so, oh, I'll read Isaac Asimov. Read every book according to its merits. Okay? Right? Read every book according to its merits. Um, and... And they say this, rules 1 through 8 can usually be done in tandem by an advanced reader. All right, You should not think of, I need to read this book 8 times to get through the first 8 rules of, of analytical reading. This is just something that you can do as you go along. And why the first 8 rules? Because the, the, the 9, 10, and 11 are only after you actually can say, I understand. And you can't fully understand a book until you've read the whole thing. And um, sometimes we do some of these things unconsciously, right? I mean, you read a book and you hear them, you, you read them say something and you go, wait a minute, I'm going to rethink through that and go, how is she making this argument? Okay? That's, that's one of their steps. So sometimes we do these things unconsciously. But sometimes it helps to, to bring these things out of the unconscious level to the conscious level so we can think about it and go, how can I do this better? And that was the point of this and their last step which is just one chapter in the book which is how to do some topical comparative reading um, like for example if you want to do commentary study on a book of the Bible right, this is the kind of reading you're going to be doing you're not just going to be reading the text you might pull multiple reference works to try to do it right? if you want to read and understand Plato okay pull out some commentaries on Plato because those exist too or Thomas Aquinas or well, whomever, whomever else right? And so this would be that kind of reading. It's, it's something where you're trying to maybe understand a single idea or a single work or a single idea where you're like, I want to find five books on topic X. I want to find five books on immigration. All right? And so you find five books with different opinions on immigration. And you're going to try to, try to, you know, basically, what, what's the deal here? What is the knowledge to be gained? And so, their basic steps are these. First, you find the relevant passages, because usually you will not find books that are 100% overlapping in their topics. Now, if it's a commentary, that's not true. They're going to be just entirely focusing on a book. But if it's a topic, like if you want to find five books on immigration, they're going to be covering overlapping, but not synonymous material. And that's the case, then you really just want to, you need the relevant passages, not everything, necessarily. You need to bring the authors to terms because, once again, if this author uses the term differently than this author, you can't compare them until you understand how they use their terms. You want to get your questions clear. You want to define the issues. All right. What are you even trying to cover? All right? And if you don't know when you're getting into it, you're going to read them all, try to find what are the major issues in immigration. All right? What are the major issues in tax reform? What are the major issues in healthcare? care? reform all right so you might read multiple sources to even figure out okay i thought i knew because i hear people complain on twitter but now that i read these very thoughtful pieces i see okay it's more complicated than i thought all right part of that step is finding all of those opinions and then once you've come to terms with with their authors and you've gotten everything then you analyze the discussion and that would essentially how you do syntopical, I like comparative, they keep calling syntopical, and it's because um, one of the great, bo- one of the volumes, or two of the volumes of the great books is a syntopticon, I believe is what they called it, they just mean by that um, topics together sort of like synoptic gospel syntopical, it's a much more burdensome word than just saying comparative, I think so anyway, uh, that's, that's it for today so my recommendation would be find a book worth reading, all right, and then think about the rules of analytical reading, and approach it that way, because there are good books worth reading, and it would be a good use of your time. Yes, Jim? I think I missed the very beginning of this. I don't know who Adler and Ben Dorn are. Two random dudes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Take a look. I made them up. Yeah, this is actually, this is me ghostwriting (coughs) myself. Somehow. Um, So Adler and Van Dorn are literature folks, essentially. And they're really big into the great books tradition of, you know, when you you see people say, um, you know what, we really should pay attention to the great books of the Western tradition. Philosophy, history, um, think all the way from You know, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, through Bacon, right, through the through through the Enlightenment, all right, through the Reformation, through early modern era, all right. Read Kierkegaard, those kind of folks, and say we should have we should recognize a body of literature significant for Western history and thought, and understand those things because through those things we will understand the history of Western. Thought, all right. It's not necessarily a a Christian move at all, though many Christians will think this way, all right. And in general, if you think of all right, what has essentially happened in the Christian and post Christian West, Europe and America, all right, well, Europe and then later, much later, America, right. if you think about what, why Europe is the way it is today, and you trace it back through time, a lot of that can be done by reading the important books that shaped that history. And so um, these guys live and promote that tradition, all right? I think there's some value in that tradition. It's, It's obviously limited in many ways, but there's some value in that tradition. I don't think they'd put Solzhenitsyn in that tradition, because well he's not Western, right? He's Russian. Um about Marx. They would. And they wouldn't it's not like they would say that they like everything in the Western tradition. That's not what it's about. It's about understanding why we are today and who are the great writers and thinkers that got us there. That's the basic idea. But you can apply this to non-Western literature, right? You can apply this to... If you think about the Bible, the Bible is Eastern literature. Honestly, it's not Western. It informed Western literature a great deal. Uh, But it's Jewish. It's it's ancient Near Eastern literature, right? So, but it's still... These are just general rules for reading. Uh, If you're going to get the most out of a book that's worth reading, then... This would be how way to do it. If you're reading the Dragonlance Chronicles, probably not worth it. Right? Though I did like those books when I was a teenager. That's generally what the books they're going to put in there, right? Like Marx. Marx's yeah. Capital, hugely influential. Right? I don't I don't like, think they're Marxists like though. Marx's you know. way What's that? They wouldn't see that would they wouldn't really put that in the set because it's not Western. Right? But if, if you did want to um, if you did want to understand that literature, then these rules would be a decent way of, of doing it. Once you understand what type of literature it is and then how you would Chinese to English Yeah. It's not to lose something. Well that's true of all literature. Right. there is there is no literature that you can translate from a language to another and not lose something I mean there's no nothing you can write down without losing something It's just human human language is fuzzy that's the way it is okay so uh, any, anybody want to discuss anything because that's all I have for today. Okay, your action item. Find a good book worth reading. And I don't mean Harry Potter. It's not worth this much effort, frankly. Might be good, but it's not worth this much effort. All right? Yes. The second time you read that book, did you use yeah. this method to read it? Um actually no because I didn't need to. And and really? I'm not sure this book. Is worth that much effort <laughs> though I can tell you I mean I mean, I can basically I, I mean I can tell you the, the, the summary of the book alright uh, I can t- tell you it's unity and I can tell you how they tried to accomplish that so I accomplished essentially an analytical reading of this um, I did the same with um, the book I mentioned earlier uh, Leisure the, um, by J- Joseph Pieper that was super hard uh, I I was able to do that. I have forgotten enough of it now where I could no longer do it, um, but I wrote it down so I so I could go look it up later. Um, but no, it is it is worth reading, and it's not a hard read. It's it's a thick book. I mean, it's got lots of words, um, but it's not a hard book to read at all. Yeah. I read that years ago, and one of the things I think I remember was uh, there a part about how to market a book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they, they do have specific instructions. That's a good point. They do have specific instructions on how to do that. Uh, I no longer do that. I've, and something I've, I've thought about, maybe 1% on here. Um, I'm, I'm using a different kind of tool for doing note-taking these days. And so, um, but, but it is actually a really good idea. If you're going to approach a book seriously, you should probably have a plan on how you're going to annotate that book or take notes of that book. Um, Because now I I, I never intend to read this book again because I now have really good notes on this book. So there's just no need for me to. And it's not innately pleasurable enough to do that. What's that? I need to start reading Stephen King. Not a fan? And I've read a lot of his work. I have too, But no Solzhenitsyn something wrong with my education okay well let's be dismissed I won't keep you all any longer if anybody wants to talk about any aspect I'll of this more I'll let it take no I'm good Uh-oh. no I really do want to read it but I will want to own a copy of the book I okay. yeah. well, let's be dismissed um, I'm going to pray for us God bless us this week um, bless us in everything that we do keep us mindful and uh, help us prepare ourselves spiritually for next week bless us Be with the doctors, uh, with Catherine this Tuesday. Help us all um, be, be mindful of your grace and be mindful that you own us and that we, as good servants, should obey you this whole week. Give us strength and freedom and blessing as we do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.